Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a regular traditional Bible, but you'd like to have one, you can just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your digital device. You can open up the YouVersion app. It's also called the Bible app. We've already uploaded all the notes and all the scriptures. And we'll put all of the scriptures on the screen right behind me. So if you're watching us online at one of our other sites or at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, I love you guys and I'm so glad that you are a part of our family. I'm glad that you guys are a part of our family and you're here live on, I think, a noon Sunday. So give yourselves a hand for being like super like, I want to go get the hamburger. So anyway, uh, last week we just started this series. It's about a topic that I think is really critical. It's crucial to our culture and that is about identity. And throughout this series, I really just want to answer one question. Who do you think you are? And so today we're going to start a pretty long journey, like uh, almost the rest of the year, for like four months, 16 weeks on a particular book of the Bible that is all about identity. And we're going to start that journey today with a message that we're calling, I am in Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you. We value you. You're so important to us, God. And I know that that sounds trite coming from our mouths to your ears, but for us to acknowledge that, God, it does something in us. So today we humble ourselves. We submit ourselves. We, we ask you to do whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, that you change our hearts, that our minds would be different, that we would leave this place different than we came in here in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and so the two most important people in all of the Bible are obviously Jesus, but secondarily Adam. There's actually only two categories of people in the world. There are those who are in Adam or those who are in Christ. The book of 1 Corinthians says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so the question is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? We're all born in Adam. And so because of that, we inherit his sin and subsequently the separation from God that that sin created. In fact, the book of Psalms says that we were born in sin and shapened in iniquity. And so because of that inheritance of sin and the separation that it created, we all need to be reborn in Christ. And so your answer to the question, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? It is the framework for your identity. So again, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? What is your spiritual identity? The purpose of this entire series is for us to deal with this critical cultural issue of identity because our struggle with identity cannot be overstated. Spiritual, emotional, political, medical, 
sexual identity. Those are all some of the hottest button issues in our culture today. So my goal is that we would take this massive need of identity and we would connect it to one particular book so that you wouldn't have to try to figure out where is it that I need to go and look, where do I need to explore, but instead for like the next 14 weeks after this or so that we could all just kind of narrow in. And so if I could give you a challenge, for the next few months, I would, I would encourage you to pick up your own Bible and to read the book of Ephesians. It's, it's not that long. It's six chapters. It's just a little bit north of 2,400 words. And, and it, it has everything to do with identity. Now, sometimes the Bible can be confusing because sometimes it, it's like it's old. It gets archaic. Sometimes if you have the wrong version or interpretation, it can feel it can feel even dusty, even for someone who, who that's your job. Like it's like you're trained in doing it. And yet, uh, when you understand it, like when you understand anything, it makes it come, come more alive. I was at the Packer game a couple weeks ago and I, I was sitting in front of uh, a lady who, who didn't understand the game. And uh, she asked questions of all of us. All 82,000 of us, it felt like she was, she, the whole game, she was like, well, what was that? How come he did, why did it, what, what is the yellow thing? And why, how come, how come the guy is out there? Who is the guy in this? I thought, you, surely you know that that's a referee, that that's, I feel like I'm on candid camera right now because some of the questions that you're asking are redonkulous. Like her husband finally touched me on the shoulder. He said, hey, don't worry, I'll take care of this. And so like the whole game, he was preemptively commentating the game to her. The only thing more annoying than her lack of knowledge of the game was his abundance of knowledge <laughs> of the game. <laughs> and so anytime you understand the background, by about halftime, y'all, she was cheering louder than anybody in the stands. She was calling penalties before the ref. I was like, 10 minutes ago, you didn't even know what the yellow thing was. How did you know what a legal procedure is? Like it suddenly, it was like she was a savant of the game. And it was like now suddenly all of us enjoyed the game so much more because she suddenly understood it. And so it helps you to understand this book when you understand the background of it. And so, so let me just tell you briefly who wrote this letter and who he wrote the letter to Ephesians was a letter. We call it a book, but it was a letter that was written by a guy called the Apostle Paul. And the reason that we call him the Apostle Paul is because his name was Paul and he was an apostle. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul is this like towering figure not just biblically, but he's a towering figure in world history, initially referred to as Saul of Tarsus. He was both a Jew and a Roman citizen, which gave him this incredible sense of rights and freedom. He was a renowned religious leader. He had a prestigious education. He was known to be fluently multilingual. He, he spoke fluently Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. Initially, he was a persecutor of Christians. He, and then he had this miraculous conversion. And incidentally, if you want to know more about the Apostle Paul, I mean, Paul is this, he's a 
He's a stalwart in the Christian community, but I, I did a six-month series uh, when we were in the pandemic. I did a six-month series that really was on the book of Romans, but we actually never got to the book of Romans. So it was misleading because we did a six-month series on the book of Romans where essentially I just taught for six months about the Apostle Paul, who Paul was, what he looked like, where he came from, what his dad was like, what his hometown was like, how he went on these beautiful journeys, the people that were connected in his life. And really what I wanted to do is if you've ever seen the PBS show, Rick Steves. Rick Steves writes these travel manuals. And if you wanna go anywhere in the world, Rick has been there. And he did a, she's been doing a show on PBS for like 30 years where basically what he does is he goes to a community and he paints a picture for you of what that community will be like when you get there, what coffee shops to go to, what restaurants to go to. And so that essentially was what my vision was, that we would make the Rick Steves version of the life of the Apostle Paul. So I describe what certain trails that he was on looked like, that what it looked like when you came over the ridge. And so uh, go on our YouTube or on our website and you can find, I think it's called uh, the book of Romans because he has this, this moment on the road to Damascus where he has this beautiful, miraculous conversion. And, and from that point forward, he goes on and he dedicates literally the rest of his life to advancing the message of Jesus. And outside of Jesus himself, there's no one in the history of the world who had more impact on Christianity than Paul. In, in roughly a decade of ministry, he walked on average 20 miles per day preaching and planting churches. In his lifetime, he started 14 documented churches and countless offspring churches. In a decade of ministry, he wrote 13 irrefutable books of the Bible. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and almost undoubtedly the book of Hebrews. So that makes 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament, plus his disciple, travel companion, and personal physician, Luke, wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So Paul either wrote or directly influenced 60% of the New Testament. And yet he lived this life that was filled with heartache, turmoil, and pain. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers robbers, my own people, Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all those things, I have this daily pressure, this anxiety for these 14 churches that I started. And so the book of Ephesians was originally a letter to one of these churches, a church in the city of Ephesus that Paul and some of his friends started. And in Paul's day, Ephesus was an enormous cosmopolitan city. It had over 250,000 people. It was an extremely spiritual and pagan city. It's why when you read it, it's filled with these references to spiritual warfare, to spiritual power, to demons. Ephesus was known as the center of supernatural 
and paranormal activity, which was particularly manifested in the worship of Artemis. This was the daughter of Zeus, the twin sister of Apollo. And the worship of Artemis, it it involved like this really demonic activity. It involved sorcery. It was filled with like sexual sin and transcendence and witchcraft and spells and the temple of Artemis built for her worship. It was, it was literally the pride of the city. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus, it was this incredibly wealthy, powerful, influential city that was actually the geographical center of the Roman empire. I mean, recent studies have discovered that Roman milestone markers actually indicate mileage to other cities based upon their measurement from Ephesus. In in Paul's day, Ephesus helped define the global identity. And you hear that and you might go, so? Like, why does, who cares? Why does that even uh, matter to me? How does that help me survive until Tuesday? Well, because when you read the Bible, you tend to think of it in terms of these like, like small rural environments populated with fishermen and farmers, people who live simple, less complicated lives than ours. But that's not always true. Like if, if ancient Rome was the equivalent of our modern day New York City, Ephesus, who, to whom this book was written, was, was the modern day equivalent of like Chicago. It was a massive influential center. And so Paul writes this letter to new Christians from all these pagan demonic backgrounds and people who had converted from traditional Judaism, people who were all tempted to go back to these former sinful lifestyles. And this letter articulated their unified identity in Christ. And the purpose of this letter literally was to remind them that they needed to pattern their lives after Jesus' holiness and after his righteousness. He was essentially asking in this whole book, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Those two words, in Christ, they changed the world. And they are the summary, the essence, and the totality of every believer's identity. And as a pastor, I constantly see people who try to change their behavior rather than understand their identity. But God knows what you do flows from who you are. We were meant to live from our identity, not for our identity. I love biographies. I love to read them. I love to watch shows about them. Pastor Sonny and I, we loved this show on the History Channel called The Men who built America. And it chronicled the lives of Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Thomas Edison, and Henry Ford. And it was fascinating to see the interconnectedness of the lives of these titans. I also love biographical movies. Ali, Ray, Braveheart, Serpico, Walk the Line, 42, Lincoln, which felt like it was in real time. Americans, we are obsessed with biographies. Like, who were your heroes growing up? Did you, did you read their biographies? I remember when I was a kid reading Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King, Mar- Michael Jordan Hang Time, When Pride Still Mattered, the story of, of uh, Vince Lombardi. And, and maybe no one will ever read your biography. But here's the good news. God has given us something better than a biography. He's given us a testimony. See, a biography, a biography is about a person. It's about their life, their accomplishments, their determination. 
In a biography, the person it's about is the hero who rescued themselves, who, who pulled themselves up by their proverbial bootstraps. In a biography, we often overlook mistakes, flaws, even blatant sin, even in biblical characters. It's, it's why so many people who are believers don't even know that Abraham gave his wife away twice to another man that Noah passed out drunk and naked in his tent, that, that King David suggested a political assassination on his deathbed, and yet we remember him as a man after God's own heart. Because in a biography, we overlook mistakes, flaws, even blatant sins. It explains why most people are unaware that Gandhi, for example, was a bisexual who left his wife to live with the male bodybuilder. That he was actually a pedophile who enjoyed sharing his bed, having sexual encounters with underage girls and boys. Why so many people are unaware that William Wilberforce, while he was fighting to abolish slavery, struggled with a major drug addiction because biographies elevate man's accomplishments while minimizing his failures. But a testimony, a testimony is about Jesus. It's about his life, his accomplishments, his determination. In in a testimony, Jesus is the hero. He rescues us from sin, death, hell, and the just wrath of God. In In a testimony, our accomplishments are minimized while Jesus's accomplishments are elevated. And like we have this very real enemy in the world who goes by lots of different names. Lucifer, Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, the serpent, Revelation 12, calls him the accuser who accuses us before God day and night. But the same chapter in the book of Revelation gives us two ways that we can conquer him. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There is power in your testimony. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're no longer who you used to be. So so when it comes to God, you're no longer identified by your past, by your failures, or by your sins. You're no longer identified by the limitations that you, your family, your peers, or society have placed upon you. And so your identity isn't based on what others say or or what others think or what others feel about you. That's why self-esteem, self-reflection, and self-help are faulty, why they're all false. When you become a Jesus follower, you're identified by what God says about you. You're identified by who you are in Christ. And God said, in Christ, you are blessed. In Christ, you are chosen to be part of his family. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you can glorify God. In Christ, you have eternal life. So are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And it's interesting that this term in Christ isn't found anywhere prior to the, to the writings of the Apostle Paul. And it's actually really interesting that it's rarely found outside his writings. And yet this concept is central to every single thing he wrote. And the term in Christ and its variations, they occur 216 times in his writing. It's particularly evident in the book of Ephesians. I mean, just in the introduction, just in the first 14 verses of chapter one, it is mentioned 11 times. I'd I'd say it's important to Paul, to God, and should be important to us. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, in those 14 introductory verses, Paul tells us nine things it means to be in Christ. So here's the first. In Christ... You can be faithful. Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful, he's prophetically speaking, in Christ Jesus. I wonder if you've ever struggled with spiritual faithfulness. 
Have you ever uh, what the church calls backslidden? <laughs> have you ever had sin on the side, you, you secret sin, closet sin? Ha- have you ever asked, how can I become more faithful? Answer, in Christ. You can only be faithful in Christ. It affects what you do, what you look at, how long you look at it, what you think. And so when I'm tempted or when you're tempted, I and you need to remember, I am in Christ. And so Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do what? All things. How? Through Christ. The gospel of John says, abide in me and I will abide in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And so it's promising. If you abide in him, abide means remain. If you remain in him, he will remain in you. It's the total opposite of self-help. In Christ, you can be faithful. Here's a second. In Christ, you are blessed. Verse three, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I wonder if you've ever, ever felt cursed, like your life isn't what it should be. You're working hard, but not getting promoted. You're working hard, but you lost your job. Relationally, you give, but they take. Have you ever wondered if everyone's just using you, if anyone's ever gonna give to you, do for you? Well, are you in Christ? Because in Christ, You're blessed with the righteousness of God. In Christ, you're blessed with the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. In Christ, you're blessed with resurrection from the dead and eternal life. What we deserve is hell. (laughs) Everything else is a blessing. And so we need to fix our face and fix our mind and start noticing the way that God has already blessed us. Your job is a blessing, not a dead end. Your car's a blessing, not a bucket. Your spouse is a blessing, not a bust. Your kids are a blessing, not a burden. And when you start focusing on the blessings that you have, rather than the blessings that you want, suddenly you're gonna feel free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see in Christ, you are blessed. Here's the third, in Christ, you were chosen and made blameless. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Have you ever felt chosen? Or were you always the last one on the wall? (laughs) Was everyone else always picked except for you? Well, this book is perfect for you because in Christ you are chosen. Before you were in your mother's womb, before you were a thought of your parents, you were chosen by God. And this isn't some debate to be had by theologians. The book of Romans says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. You are chosen and not because of what you do, because of who you are. You ever felt dirty because of what you did, because of what you said, because of what you thought? Now, yes, what you've done is a sin. And that sin may explain you, but it doesn't have to define you. Just because it's in your past doesn't mean it has to be in your future. The book of Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law 
of sin and death. You're not condemned, you're forgiven. You're not dirty, you're clean. God sees all, knows all, and yet still, he is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that you should reach repentance. In Christ, you were chosen and you were made blameless. Here's the fourth. In Christ, you are forgiven. Some of you need to walk in that. Stop defining yourself by your past. Verse seven says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace. Like, have you ever felt punished? Like, like, like the cards are stacked against you. Like life is hard because God is punishing you because he's mad at you. Paul just said, in Christ, you're forgiven. You're not punished. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, he actually meant it. In fact, you're forgiven for sins you haven't even committed yet. Now, that's not a license for you to sin, but it is a comfort in the fact that, yes, you're going to mess up. But Romans says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You're not a little bit forgiven. You're all the way forgiven. Your identity isn't in your sin, it's in your Savior. And understanding that will help you own your sin to God, to yourself, and to others. I mean, are there consequences? Absolutely. That's why it paints a picture of God as a parent. If you got kids, you know there's consequences. But if your kid gets dirt on the wall, you don't cut their hand off because you're not mean. And yet we paint this picture of God like, like all that he's wanting to do is beat the mess out of us. Are there consequences? Yes. But that's God's way of helping us learn and helping us grow. Both Proverbs and Hebrews tells us that the father disciplines the children that he loves. But the enemy, Satan, he's lied to every one of us that we're going to be punished, that, we, that we're going to have to suffer, that we brought this thing on ourselves. But that, that logic renders the cross as ineffective. But first Peter tells us he, he himself bore our sin in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In Christ, you are forgiven. Here's the fifth. In Christ, you can know the will of God. Verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I wonder if you've ever felt confused about what God wants you to do, confused about the will of God. Should I work here or work there? Should I get married or stay single? Should I have kids or no kids? Public school or private school? Here's the deal. Wherever you are and whatever you do, you're in Christ. But whatever it is that you do, do it to God's glory. We all have the same purpose. Some of us just have different uniforms. Our circumstances don't define us. So whether you're a CEO or you're cleaning toilets, do it unto the glory of God. Do it in Christ. Have the cleanest toilets this planet has ever seen. Have people walk into your job and go to the manager talk about, could I just tell you, man, I've never seen a cleaner bathroom in my life. And they'd be like, that's Jim, man. Jim will clean some toilets, y'all. He'll come in. You ain't never seen. Jim should be in the toilet cleaning hall of fame is all I'm saying. We should have jackets that talk about Jim's toilet. You should start your, your boss should want you to start your own business because you're so good. And you want to walk around and complain about the fact that all you get to do is clean toilets. You ever had to use a dirty toilet? 
you'd be glad that somebody was good at cleaning them. Can you imagine if whatever it is that God has called you to do, you did it unto his glory? Colossians says it, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Christ, you can know the will of God. Here's the sixth, in Christ, you are reconciled. Verse 10, as you plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I wonder if you've ever felt lonely. Here's the deal, when you're in Christ, you're not alone. You're in relationship with God. Build that, grow that, rejoice in it. One of the effects of sin is that it makes us feel alone. It makes us feel isolated. It makes us feel alienated or distant. But the book of Romans says, for I'm sure that neither death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The book of Hebrews says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So here's the deal. If you feel distant from God, but he's promised that he'd never leave you, who is it that moved? Well, here's the good news. Positionally, you may have wandered, but practically you're still in Jesus because in Christ, you are reconciled. Here's the seventh. In Christ, you have an inheritance. Verse 11, in him, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Have you ever felt cheated, stolen from, overlooked? You know, people who have an inheritance, they operate differently. Romans tells us the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus. In Christ, you have an inheritance physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. First Corinthians says what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In Christ, you have an inheritance. We need to start to live that way. Here's the eighth. In Christ, you have hope. Verse 12, so that, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Have you ever felt hopeless? Guys, you have hope. And it may not be in your government, your beauty, or your IQ, and your degree, your job, or your success, your marriage, your children, or your friends. But you have hope in Christ. Apart from him, you have no hope. But the book of Romans says, for in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that's seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we will wait for it patiently. When you have hope in Christ, you go to work differently. You deal with adversity differently. You deal with enemies differently. You love your friends differently. You endure suffering differently. When your hope is in Christ, you can endure anything. In Christ, you have hope. Here's the ninth. In Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. In him, you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means to the power and the presence by which we can live this life of obedience. He's our helper. God's not far away from us. He dwells within us. Jesus' life was lived by the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism. He filled him through the course of his life. He caused him to rejoice. He led him and empowered him. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's not a force, he's a person. 
He's not impersonal, he's personal. He's not far away, he's right here. He's not against you, he's for you. He's not waiting for you to perform. He's been waiting to perform something in you because in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, which enables you to celebrate the words of Galatians 2, that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Christ who loved me and who gave himself for me. And so all of that, those nine things come back to one question. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Would you close your eyes all across this place? You know, at the core of this whole spiritual experience we call life is one word, salvation. You either have it or you don't. You've either been it or you haven't. Have you been saved? It's kind of a church saying that we get lost in when we've been living in the church world for a long time. But really what salvation means is that you've been rescued. Ultimately, it means you've stopped living in Adam and you've started living in Christ. In the Bible, it just says that there's two things that a person has to do to be in Christ. You have to confess that you're a sinner and you have to profess that Jesus can change that. So we're gonna give you the opportunity to do both of those things today. And here's how, in just a moment with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus to do two things. First is gonna be to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact, you could put your hand down. And then I'm gonna ask everyone in this place to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat the prayer and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you are saved. You are now in Christ. So if you're here today and with nobody looking around, you'd say, Sean, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've not received him as my Lord and Savior, but I want to before I leave here. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. I'm gonna ask everyone in here, say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me, make me different, make me new, be my Lord be my savior in Jesus name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, if you're watching us online, would you send us a message? If you are here live, would you do one of two things? You can either take the card that's in the seat back in front of you, tear off the bottom part, fill it in with, it, with whatever information you're comfortable with it. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And either put it in the black bucket when it comes around or take it out to the Welcome Center. Or you can scan the QR code on the back of your seat or up here on the screen. It just gives us the opportunity to connect with you. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes again. Maybe you're here and you're in Christ. You've, you've gotten saved, like you're a Jesus guy or a Jesus girl, you're going to heaven. But I wonder if you're still struggling with the flesh. You're still, you know, you're in Christ, but you're, you're still a little bit in Adam. You got some stuff in your life that you're, you're dragging along and you say, Sean, I just there's some things in my life that I need you to, I need you to pray for. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you today? Yeah, gosh, so many people. God, for so many people in this place, I pray your blessings. God, I pray that we would feel the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, even now, well up within us, God, that you love us, that you'll never leave us. Help us to be in Christ and less in Adam. Make us less like us and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, before... We receive the Lord's tithes in your offering. There's, there's really two sacraments in the church. Um, you have uh, Holy Communion and you have, you have 
water baptism. And today we're gonna take part in one of those and it is water baptism. And uh, here at Life Church, if you're new, we practice what, what you would call biblical baptism, meaning that, that we choose to baptize people the way that we find it in scripture. In, in the scriptures, there are 27 water baptisms and they have a couple of things in common. First of all, they were all done after a person was saved, after they started a relationship with Jesus. Actually, most of them were done immediately after that person was saved. Number two, they were all done by immersion, meaning the person went totally underneath the water and came back up. It was symbolism that they were submitting everything to God and being pulled back up. And third, they were all done to adults, all of them. There are no infant baptisms in the scripture. And I'm not saying that it's not beautiful or symbolic or significant. What I'm saying is biblically, when you are baptized, it is those three things. So if maybe you were baptized as a kid, but you made a conscious decision since that point to follow Jesus in a different way, and you've never been baptized as an adult, we would love to have you uh, take part in that. And so today we got a bunch of towels. We've got uh, t-shirts, I think. And if, if you've Maybe you didn't even come here with plans to get baptized, but uh, if you want to get it, uh, you're more than welcome and we'll help you leave here less wet uh, than when you, we had guys get baptized. Today, we had uh, baptized in jeans. We've had people get, had a guy get baptized in a three-piece suit. Didn't even want to take the vest off. So anyway, if you want to get baptized, please let us help you with that today. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.